Right, Ephesians 1, and let's read together from verse 11 up until verse 14. Now again, the words of the living God. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you will teach us what it means to be your church. I pray that we will see um, your work, um, Lord Jesus, of how you took two hostile enemies, um, Jew and Gentile, the two most irreconcilable people imaginable, and made them family, made them one body by your work, by your grace, through your blood. Lord, I pray that you will search our hearts if there is any sectarian spirit in our hearts, any racism, any, any, any small inkling of superiority in our thinking, that you will kill it, Lord, in, in this text and as we study it, that we might be one body and one church as you have planned so long ago. So, Lord, please teach us through this text, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been considering, as we looked at Ephesians chapter 1 from verse 3 up until verse 14, all the manifold blessings that God has so showered upon us in Christ. We've looked at um, the work of God the Father. God has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. He has predestined us for adoption as sons. And then we've looked at the work of God the Son. We have seen that in Him we have been redeemed by His blood. He has forgiven us of all our sins. God has revealed to us His plan. He has given us wisdom and insight to know that one day He's going to unite all things into Jesus. Jesus, when He comes back, He will bring ultimate peace. And now we're really looking at, it's now moving from God the Son to God the Spirit. You see, our Father, Son, and Spirit is all throughout this text. And here we now see the work of God the Spirit to seal us as as believers and to make us one to make us a church so it's specifically really the the holy spirit's work that makes this that brings us together from different backgrounds different languages and makes us one and one of the work of the spirit that we we will see in this text is the security he gives us so that that the the language of being sealed it says he is the guarantee of our inheritance so one of the crucial aspects of the Holy Spirit that He gives us is security and assurance. Assurance to know that we will make it. But there's another point Paul makes in this text that is almost subtle, but it's still one of his main emphasis. And that is that God in Christ has made both Jew and Gentile one in Christ. And where we see that is in the subtle changes in the pronouns. Okay, so notice again as I read it, Notice the shift that Paul makes in the pronouns of verse 11, 12, and 13. So 11, he says, in him, we have obtained an inheritance. Okay, and then again, verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ, 
ought to be to the praise of his glory. But then in verse 13, he switch. He says, in him, you also. You see? You see the shift there? So it begins from we. We were the first to hope in Christ. But then it says, but you also. When you believed in Christ, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And I believe that shift, the we, when Paul says the we, he's actually mainly thinking of Jewish believers, those who were the first to hope in Christ, those were the Jews, and then the you are the Gentiles that have received the word of God after Christ ascended. Remember, the early church was just Jewish, right? And the, the very first church was just a Jewish church. And it only took a long time for the church to realize, whoa, okay, the Gentiles can be added to this new body. And we know that this is Paul's thinking because of what he writes later. Just turn over to chapter 2 quickly and verse 11 to 13. He, here he makes this you emphasis, very clearly defining it as Gentiles. Listen to chapter 2 verse 11. It says, Therefore remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. Do you see? And look at chapter 3, verse 1, the same thing. Excuse me. He says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. So when Paul says you, it's very clear that he is thinking primarily of Gentile Christians. But, and, but this is astonishing. This, this, these truths that we're going to look at, that Gentiles are now part of the church, that we are fellow heirs, is amazing. Because Jews and Gentiles were hostile enemies of one another. They hated each other. They couldn't be together. And now Paul says that not only are the Gentiles also saved, but they are fellow heirs, members of the same body. It's like saying today, like the Afrikaner boer. Okay, think of the, the most cocky, short Afrikaner boer that you can imagine. Is one family with Julius Malema, with the EFF. And they say, here's my brother. When you think of that, like that, how, that is impossible. That cannot work, right? It's enemies, right? And the same thing, like now, but this is what Jesus has done. He's coming in, he's took two completely opposite people that were not just hostile to one another for, for ethnic reasons. So we, we will be tempted to make it a matter of race. It was not mainly a matter of race that made Jew and Gentile enemies, but of religion, impurity. The Jews came out of Samaritan, they would um, dust off the, the, the dust from their feet of the unfilthy, unclean dust of Samaria. You see, so it was like, I don't want to be part of those pig-eating, uncircumcised people. They are condemned. And here comes Christ. He comes and he breaks down that wall of hostility between the two most radical enemies you can imagine. And this is good news for us because this is what God wants for us. He wants us, he wants grace to penetrate your heart so deeply, so overwhelm you about how sinful you were, but yet how God freely forgave you that when you look at your enemy, that you say, I'll forgive you too. How could you do otherwise if you really know how much God has forgiven you? So this afternoon, we're going to only focus on that emphasis in the text. And then next time, we're going to look at Ephesians, Lord willing, look at the, the role of the Holy Spirit and look at that beautiful blessing of being sealed. So in this text, I can see at least five reasons, five reasons 
why both Jew and Gentile are now one in Christ in this text. And here's the first reason. First reason, Paul simply states that Jews and Gentiles are now one because they receive the same inheritance. Because Jew and Gentile now receive the same inheritance. Notice again, Paul makes this clear when he, in verse 11 when he says, In him we have obtained an inheritance. All the Jews clap hands. Amen. That is ours. Right? Son of Abraham, son of David, that belongs to us. But then in verse 14, he shifts, he says, Who is the guarantee of? our inheritance until we acquire possession of it so there he was including now the you of verse 13 which is the gentiles this is now our inheritance this is amazing like, or like paul would say in romans 11 that, that we have been grafted in to the jewish tree by god's grace now think about the logic if two people receive the same inheritance it means they are part of the same family they are either siblings or they are adopted, right? That someone has been adopted. And in our case, we've been adopted. We've been predestined by the Father to be adopted into his family. This was always God's plan from the beginning. And that's exactly what Paul writes later. Just turn over again to chapter 3, verse 6. I think 6 is like the, the atomic bomb of this truth. It says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. Members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So not, you're, not, you're not just sharing a table or you're sharing a body. You can't get more intimate than that, right? You are now one body. You are the finger. You are the eye. You are the leg. We are one. We are interdependent on one another. We need each other. That's highly offensive if you say you need your enemy. You need that person that you can't sit around and can't stand. Like, but in Christ, we do need, we are one body. We need each other. And that's the first reason, because we have the same inheritance. Here's the second reason. Secondly, Jew and Gentile are reconciled to one another <clears throat> because they receive the same inheritance by the same means. We receive the same inheritance by the same means, namely, faith in the son of David and the son of Abraham the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how clear this is in verse 12. How did the Jews receive their inheritance? In verse 12, it says, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ. Remember, Christ is just another word for Messiah and the anointed one, the Jewish Messiah. So when we, when we as Jews put our hope in the Messiah, that is how we were receiving our inheritance. So we might be to the praise of his glory. They've hoped in him. They've trusted in him. The, the Old Testament feasts and sacrifices were the shadow and Christ is the substance. And when Christ came, the shadow falls away. So they hoped in Christ. But how did the Gentiles receive their inheritance? Look at verse 13. It gives us the answer. It says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. The Jews hoped in the Messiah and the Gentiles believed in the Messiah, which is the same, saying the same thing in different words, right? When you hope in someone, you trust them, you rest in them, you believe in them, you treasure that person as your savior and as your God. And so the Gentiles and the Jews have received the inheritance through faith alone. This is, this is radical. This is, 
This is mind changing, not through works of the law, not by being good, not by offering a sacrifice to God. No, by simply believing. You get a full inheritance. So who is at the center, really, of our inheritance, the center of this unity between Jew and Gentile? It's the Messiah, right? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus alone could do this. There's no other way for, for black and white, for different race, different cultures, different enemies to come together. It's impossible, except if we believe in the same Messiah, if we come together and see our sin and see the same grace that he has for all of us. This is important because imagine if salvation was by works. Imagine if you had to do something or be somebody before you can be saved. One group could always have that claim. We are in because we are just better than the Gentiles. We have the circumcision. We have Abraham and the law. We are just better by birth. And I try, try to get that person to be in harmony with somebody that's not the Jew, right? That, that won't work. Or the Gentiles, on the other hand, could say, we are in because we just really, really, really worked hard for it. We had all the odds were against us. We were not circumcised. We didn't have the law. And yet we are in by sheer force, sheer work. We are better than the Jews. It just gets everything by birth. Right? So the, now you have these two factions that are competing. One is competing by their pride in their, their, their um, ethnic, their ethnicity and their lineage. And the other is proud, proudful by their works. But salvation comes in and it strips us of everything to boast in. It strips us from every reason to think we are better than anybody else. Because of Ephesians 2 verse 8. So we're going to look at this in detail later. But look at chapter 2 verse 8 again. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may what? Boast. You see, that's the main thing God wants to take away from you, is the ability to boast, to think that anything of your salvation came from you. No, it is a gift of God. It is sheer, sheer grace. And so whether you're smart or not so smart, whether you have a, an amazing lineage or not so amazing lineage, or doesn't matter. Rejoice, beloved, if you just put your faith in Christ, if you just trust in Him as your Savior, you get a full inheritance by grace. That is amazing. So Jew and Gentile now are one because not just they share um, the same inheritance, but they get it with the same means, through the same means by faith. But thirdly, here's a third reason. Gentiles are one with Jews in Christ because they are united to the same Savior. So we've already alluded to it. But I just want to emphasize it again in verse 11 and in verse 13. Notice in verse 11, again, how it's not just believing the gospel, but it says oh, um, in verse 11, in Him. The first two words there. We, will, we receive this inheritance by being united to Christ. Look at verse 13. In Him. Remember, this is really... A very key phrase right through from verse 3. We get everything by being in Him. In Christ. In Christ. In Him. And so Jew and Gentile are one body because we are united to the same head. One Christ. Namely Christ. How beautiful that we have already a foretaste of this unity in the church. Of being one in Christ. To see people like an Afrikaner, a Zulu, a Corsa. I know there's a click there, but I can't do it. I'm, I apologize. 
goes on English, coming together and we love one another and we really care for one another. We are affectionate. We look at each other and say, my brother, my sister. That's not natural. We are equals in Christ. Or to use Paul's language in Galatians 3 verse 28, he says, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither, neither male nor female. We are equal in Christ. It's an amazing, amazing thing. So not firstly, so if, if I were to ask you, who is your people? You know, what would be the first reaction in your heart, right? Okay, now, they, we, do, we, don't, we still do keep our, our culture, our language. I'm not, we're not saying that we lose that. You're a Jew or a Gentile and you're always going to be that. But our people is not firstly our culture or our skin color or our language or our tribe. Our people is firstly our Christian family. I don't know about you, but I've seen this so many times in Clagstorps. I don't know if it's the same here in Porch. Um, I've talked to some white people and then when suddenly when they talk about white people doing bad things, they start whispering and they say, that is our people. Can you believe it? And they rub their skin like this, right? That's our people. And I just look at that and I just feel sad about that because, again, there's this mentality that it's as if white people are not sinful, as if we are not bad, okay? But no, that's not our people. Our people is right here. If you are in Christ, this is your people. We are part of the body of Christ. It's almost like a third race. So if, Jew, if a Jew is a race, if Gentile is a race, Christian is another race. And we are that third race that, that just comes together and belong together, right? So that's a third reason. We, we share the same Savior. Here's a fourth reason. Jews and Gentiles are united because we receive the same sign of the covenant, namely the Holy Spirit. We have received the same sign of the covenant. Verse 13, I think this is one of the key ideas of verse 13. It says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So Paul says, the moment you believe, that's the moment you receive the Spirit. You're sealed with him. So, so there is a teaching that says you can be saved, but you only have to receive the Spirit, maybe at your baptism of the Holy Spirit or, or something like that. But this text destroys that and says no listen when did you receive the spirit when you believed it's by faith that we receive the holy spirit and that is the sign that we belong to god so one of the emphasis of that word sealed is to point out authenticity so i would write a letter to you and i would seal it with my ring and as as you receive that letter and you see the sign or the that letter has been sealed with my ring you know oh that's that's that person's letter. I know it's authentic. I know it's not some kind of a um, fake letter or counterfeit. It's the real deal. And in the same way, when it says Gentiles are sealed, it says God has put his seal upon them, that they are his people, that they are re the real deal. They're not some kind of a second-class, second-handed Christian. No, because they have received the Holy Spirit, that's the evidence that they are fully God's people. Notice how Paul describes, there's a little adjective he uses about the Holy Spirit. I just want to look at it in verse 13. It says, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So you can take promised 
in two ways, either looking back or looking forward. So promise can either refer to that the Holy Spirit has been promised in the past, and now he's been poured out and received by the church. Listen to Joel chapter 2, verse 28. So this is an Old Testament um, promise that God would pour out his spirit. Listen to Joel 2, verse 28. It says, It shall come to pass after that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. So it's an Old Testament prophecy, and then Acts chapter 2 shows us that's where it was fulfilled, right? Jesus also promised the Holy Spirit to his disciples. Listen to Acts chapter 1, verse 4 to 5. It says, While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. You see, so again, the promised Holy Spirit, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Paul's point can't be more, cl more clear when he says that Gentiles have received the promised Holy Spirit. Is they are now part of the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises that the Holy Spirit will come to his people, which is now Gentiles as well. Okay, But there's another way you could take promise, and that's, just, that's not by looking back. That's by looking forward and saying, the Spirit is the promise that we will receive our inheritance, that we will surely make it. And that's really where chapter 4, verse 30 comes in. We're going to look at that a little bit later, but here we see as well the same language. Listen to Ephesians 4, verse 30. It says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So there it says we are sealed, but we were sealed for something in the future that security that we will surely have our day of redemption when Jesus comes again. So, but either way, both of these elements are true. The past element and the future element. The Spirit is the promised Holy Spirit. I want you to turn with me to Acts quickly. And I want to help you see this link between the Spirit and Gentiles being included in the family. So, turn to Acts chapter 10. Just turn a few, few pages back to Acts chapter 10. And as I've said, if you read Acts, you can see this was a lesson the church struggled to learn. They really battled with this truth that Gentiles are now included by faith alone. So Peter received a vision from God that, he, that it's okay to go and visit Gentile people and preach the gospel to them. So he goes to Cornelius and his family. He shares the gospel with them. And then this happens. Listen to Acts 10 verse 44. So at the end of the chapter, it says, While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? It looks like they were Baptists, right? Um, who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain some days. Notice they were not circumcised. They, they didn't follow any Jewish rite to receive the Holy Spirit. No, they did not go to Jerusalem or to the temple to be accepted by the priests. They simply believed in Christ. And God gives them the sign that they are accepted, fully accepted. And they knew that they were accepted because they saw that visible signs of them speaking in tongues and extolling God. So for them, that was the proof that 
That is the Holy Spirit because it says, just as he was poured out in Acts chapter 2 on us. So God used tongues in this context to confirm that Gentiles are now part of the family, or that Sumerians are part of the family, right? And, and that the Gentiles are. So, so now nobody could deny that anymore. Now you can imagine that this wasn't an easy thing to accept. So in Acts chapter 15, we see a huge controversy over this issue about whether Jew, Gentiles are, are to be accepted by faith alone. So look at chapter 15. Let's read the first couple of verses together. Acts 15 from verse 1, it says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. These are some Jews couldn't accept just to believe. That cannot be right. You must be circumcised. You must become a Jew. It goes on. And after Paul and after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So verse 6, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up. The same Peter that saw the first time. Listen again how he connects this. He says, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God who knows the heart bore witness to them. How? By giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. You see? That was one of the arguments. You see how influential the sign or the the, the giving of the Holy Spirit was for, for Peter or for the early church. Like that was the proof. That was the evidence that Jew and Gentile now won by grace through faith in the Messiah. So how could we now reject them as some kind of half-saved, half-citizen, half-Jew, or whatever you want to say that? Because they received the Spirit just as we did. Or as Peter said in verse, in verse um, 9 when he says, God made no distinction between us no distinction that is quite incredible right now just to clarify i do not believe or think that these passages teaches us that you have to speak in tongues otherwise you are showing that you don't have the holy spirit that's not what the book of acts and these contexts are about in fact 1 corinthians 12 at the end says do all prophesy do all speak in tongues and paul says no not everybody has but paul but god made it had to made it so clear to these jewish believers that they are included that he gave them visible visible signs and that was tongues to show that they are now part of god's people that's why these signs were consistent with the giving of the spirit because this church was struggling <laughs> this church was really battling with this truth so beloved you can rest assured that you are fully god's that you are fully his that you are fully his child if you simply believe in Christ. Now, as we turn our way back to Ephesians, let's look at the last reason, the last reason that we can know why Jew and Gentile can be one. 
And that is because both now Jew and Gentile, we, we both have the same end purpose. The same end purpose with the Jews. And that is simply to the glory of God. I think Paul wrote, wrote the way he wrote, writes the section deliberately. Because in verse 12, he says, look at verse 12 again. It says, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And some people will say, of course, we are Jews. Of course we are supposed to, we are to the glory of God. We are the elect. But then at the end of verse 14, Paul says the same thing and he applies it to the Gentiles when he says, the Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Gentiles, as God's people, are meant to be that light to the nations, a city on a hill, God's holy people, his chosen race to represent him in a dark world for his glory and for the good of the nations. So this is really a humbling text. Can I say it bluntly? It's not about you. It's not about Afri being Afrikaner. It's not about being a Zulu or a Kosa. That It's not about that. As good and glorious as your culture is, it's not about that. It's about God. It's about His glory. And in Revelation 5, we see that picture in Revelation 5 verse 9 when it says, And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the score and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. So let me close with a few applications just to make it as practical as I possibly can. So firstly, this text should show you the great sin of refusing to love another Christian, another brother or sister. See the seriousness of that. See the great sin of racism. There is absolutely no place for racism in the heart of a Christian. Nothing. Of all people, we are the most, we're supposed to be the most humble because we know who we are. We know what Christ has done. We know how he's made us one by grace. We were the complete strangers. We were the ones outside and we were accepted by God into his family. So shall we treat strangers any, any way different than God has treated us? If we were slaves of sin and God has adopted us into the family, shall we be, shall we be hateful to people outside of our country, the people who come from the outside, inside? This also means, and this, I think this is why the Bible places such a big emphasis on forgiveness, especially between Christians, especially in the family. Forgiveness. We need that. We need to give one another that grace to protect our unity, to protect our family. Where forgiveness dies, relationships stop immediately. Some marriages, if you listen to some people, some husbands and some wives, and they are always irritated with one another, they're always biting one another, they're always, it is probably a long history of unforgiveness. It is a long pile of small offenses that have never been forgiven and so the, the the tiniest thing that happens it's almost like a volcano because there wasn't grace we need to forgive one another we need to protect one another we need to be one church 
And since we are in Christ, we shouldn't think of one culture or one background as more important than another. No, we are equal in Christ. We should never look down on someone because they are from a different background or different culture. Again, if we think about the church, if God has accepted that person, who are you to reject him? If God has forgiven that person, who are you to not forgive him or her? Who are you to refuse that person to be part of the church? Right? Um, I love that. I think it was Michael who said this. It's like, just like a normal family, you don't choose your siblings. Right? You don't choose your brother and your sister. God does that. The same thing with the family, the church family. We don't choose our family members. God chooses them. And we, our responsibility is to love them. <laughs> okay? Whoever they are, from wherever they come from. So let us radically love one another. Let us radically hate any form of um, racism in the church, in the world, and show the light of the gospel through that as well. Let us not separate what God has joined together. Right? That's not just true of marriage. That's true of the church as well. Secondly, if this is true, if we are full and complete heirs, then another application is just to simply rejoice. Rejoice in this reality that you are a full heir of your inheritance that is coming. Beloved, how, how good news is this for you and for us who are in, in Porches Room? Look around you. We are filled with Gentiles. Unless if you are a Jew, please let me know afterwards. Then I can update my membership list. Or <laughs> no, I'm just joking there, but. We are full, fully Gentiles, right? And we are fully going to heaven. We are receiving the full inheritance. God includes us. What a glorious future you have through the Messiah, through the faith in the Messiah, with our Jewish brothers, with our Jewish sisters, because of one man, the Lord Jesus Christ. You are not a second-hand class. You're not anything inferior to any other Christian in the whole world. You're not going to have a downgraded inheritance or anything like that. No. No, God has made us all one. How glorious is that? Um, I love how, and when we think of our inheritance, we should always remember that it includes our resurrection as well as living on a new heaven and a new earth. So when you think of our inheritance, don't just think of dying and going to heaven. But think of when Jesus comes back and raises us. I love, Doug Wilson probably made it the clearest for me. He says, you know, we often say this. We say, this is not my home. I am just passing through. Now, that is true, but that's not fully accurate. It gives the idea that when we die, we are at our final destination. But that's not true. When we die, we are not at our final destination. Our inheritance hasn't been received yet fully because Jesus will come back and then he will raise us from the dead. So Doug Wilson, he said it like this. He says, heaven is not my home. I'm just passing through. So he swapped it. Now, he does not mean that when you, you know, that we're not going to be with God and that God is in heaven. But what he means by heaven there is that intermediate state when we die. That is not our final destination. We are just passing through. Our final destination is to be on earth forever with God in eternal pleasures and joy. Beloved, let this be your hope. Let this be your strength in a, in a life of unending trials. Let this be your constant 
reminder that you always have hope because we have the same inheritance. And lastly, let me close with this final warning. And the warning is this, that as this text has emphasized that with Christ and in Christ we receive all of it, without Christ we will inherit nothing but God's wrath. I think Revelations is a good book to read, to see that, right? So what we read in our scripture reading as well. If Christ is the only person that unites Jew and Gentile and that, that gives us our inheritance, then the opposite is true. Without Christ, you have nothing. Without Christ, you will inherit hell. The wages of sin, what you deserve, what you need to be paid for your sin is eternal death. Without Christ, you are without God and without hope in the world. So listen to me. Without Christ, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't then matter even how... how how prestigious your background is, that doesn't matter. God will not respect you. God doesn't respect your lineage or your, your accomplishments in this earth. That doesn't impress Him because you have sinned against Him. And when He judges you, He will cast you into an eternal fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And He will not spare you. He will not. Because when it came to sin, God didn't even spare his own son. Not even for his son did he make an exception when it came to sin. And if God is unbending in his judgment on his son on the cross, who do you think you are? Who do you think, why do you think God will respect you or spare you from his judgment? He won't. He's no respecter of persons. So it doesn't matter if you came from a Christian home, whether you had a, a great upbringing, it doesn't, those things doesn't matter. They don't count in your salvation with God. They don't count. So listen to me. Run to Christ. Run to the only one that can save you from the wrath to come. Flee from the wrath to come. You do not have to suffer it. You don't have to experience one drop of God's judgment because Christ took it on the cross. He absorbed, he swallowed it up whole, the anger and the judgment of God on the cross so that you can only experience his kindness, his grace, his love. So flee to the rock of ages that was cleft for you. Hide yourself in him. Hide in him. Leave your good works behind. Leave your, your self-righteousness behind. Leave your kingdom behind. Come to Christ. And as you come to him and throw yourself onto him, he will forgive you and cleanse you and save you fully. Not by who you are, not by what you've done, but by his mercy. Because he is rich in mercy. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your unending patience with us. Lord, as your word says, your kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. It's meant to humble us. Lord, as we see in this text and as we see in the book of Romans, that whether we are Jew or Gentile, all, all of us have sinned and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. But thank you for the Savior. Thank you. That there's a way 
to be forgiven and that you delight to forgive us. That you are not a God who is reluctant in any way to receive sinners into your family. Oh Lord, it's the opposite. You delight, you, you rejoice like the father in the prodigal son. You run to the sinner that comes. Lord, I pray for, for us as, as sinners that we would run to Christ. As the great hymn also says, that we won't look to riches or man's empty praise. Thou my inheritance, now and always. Lord, let you, we pray that you would be our joy, that you would be our treasure, that you would be our inheritance, that, so that we could lose everything and still be joyful because we have you in the midst of our grief, in the midst of our sorrows. Lord, I pray for our church. I pray for Heritage Baptist Church. I pray that we would be a church that beautifully reflects your unity. Lord, we are coming from so many different and various backgrounds, Lord. And I pray that you would please humble us as a church and always keep Christ in our view. And so that we would love one another earnestly. Love one another not hypocritically, but love one another from a pure heart. That our love would be genuine for one another as we care for one another as our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, please um, use this text to further work in us and through us and to build your church here. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name.